0: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is standing by. She's got a brand-new book called Haunted Hills and Hollows, What's Lurking in Green County, Pennsylvania. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
1: Hi. Well, busy as ever, Richard. And even though I'm, I'm thrilled to be sharing my birthday today with The Conspiracy Show folks, Uh, But it's um, never a dull day in my life. Uh, I'm constantly working. And as you can imagine, I have all kinds of projects in the pipeline.
0: Well, uh, first of all, happy birthday, a very happy birthday. I hope you had a good one.
1: It was a wonderful day. And, uh, yes, I actually did relax a little bit.
0: (laughs) Good for you. Good for yeah. you. So what is the genesis of uh, of uh, Haunted Hills and Hollows? How did this come about? I mean, you're focusing, hyper-focusing on, on Green County, Pennsylvania. There's enough going on in this one county to fill an entire volume. That's remarkable. Uh,
1: there really is. And the book was the result of years of investigations. And even though it's uh, a, a small geographic area, it really is uh, a bellwether for Weird phenomena that goes on everywhere. It's just very concentrated in this part of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is a very active state. It's one of the top ten in Bigfoot sightings and encounters. It has a lot of UFO activity, a lot of uh, hauntings. It's got a lot of um, uh, abandoned mines that contribute to hauntings, and uh, Green County is is no exception. Well, this all started for me in 2010, and. Um my co-author, Kevin Paul, who is a lifelong resident of Greene County, heard me on the radio. And uh, he sent me an email, and he said, hey, you ought to come down here. we got a lot of stuff going on. Well, I get emails like that all the time from uh, all over. And, of course, I, I can't simply uh, go everywhere. And, uh, you know, sometimes places might have a little bit, but uh, that would be it. But there was something about his email that, just resonated with me, and I thought, I've got to check this out. So I arranged uh, to go to Pennsylvania. I was living in Connecticut at the time, still am, and I did some investigations with Kevin and some research, and I was just blown away by the territory, the terrain, the history, the activity. Nothing had ever been written about it before, and Kevin, being a lifelong resident, he, he knows where all the bodies are buried, literally and figuratively, uh, and so we started this, this research project, and uh, the result is a book that has become a bestseller, which is very unusual for a regional book. It's a good read. The stories are creepy. And uh, we hit um, bestseller in uh, three categories on Amazon and, and in Kindle. It's been um, a real rip-roaring ride, and I'm really pleased because uh, I think the, the stories are just fascinating.
0: Well, just, just listen to the chapter titles. I mean, how could you resist? The Lobster Alien and Other Strange Beings, Massacres, Blood Soaked Ground, Mounds and Disturbed Burials, Strange Activity, Activity near Lapping Farm, Black Blobs and Mole Things, Freaky Franklin Township, The Ghost of Frank Bryan, Mystery People and Black Eyed People, uh, Crazy Hauntings, Weird Warrior Trail, um, is, is, is there one a township in particular within Greene County that, that that has more more of its share of paranormal goings-on, or is it distributed evenly throughout the county?
1: I would say it's distributed pretty evenly. It's just that we hear more about things in the more populated areas like Franklin County and, of course, Waynesburg, which is the county seat. Uh, there's a lot in Greene County, which and it butts up against West Virginia, and so that's where the hills and hollows come in. Uh, there are a lot of very remote areas. They're sparsely populated. People have lived there for generations and have experienced things that, over the passage of time, uh, it, with some of them it becomes almost accepted, a part of the backdrop of life. Oh, oh yeah, we get UFO activity all the time, you know, that sort of thing. Or every now and then we, uh, we see certain uh, uh, cryptids. And uh, so a lot of it was going around to some of these more remote areas and, and digging out the stories. And uh, we interviewed a lot of people. Uh, we did uh, original field work. Kevin did um, an amazing amount of historical research, because that figures into it, too. The energy of the land, I think, is uh, a lot of what drives the hauntings in this, uh, in this part of Pennsylvania. You have abandoned mine tunnels, active mine tunnels, fracking has been going on, oil and gas drilling, things that disturb what, what is underneath the earth, which is the domain of the spirit world. Uh, and uh, you've got this history, this very bloody history of uh, colonial and, and Indian clashes and massacres. Houses being built on top of old Indian mounds and cemeteries, and nobody knows it until they excavate and things start to happen. Uh, And these things happen elsewhere, too, but it uh, it struck me that Greene County was really a crucible for uh, a lot of these things. And that's why we call it the most haunted county in America.
0: Oh, wow. You must have been like a kid in the candy store.
1: I'll tell you we were, and our research uh, lasted years, you know, we, uh, when I started investigating with Kevin, I wasn't necessarily thinking of a book, I just wanted to get the lay of the landscape and maybe do some interesting cases and uh, collect some, some stories. And the deeper that we went, the more it became apparent to me that there was incredible material for a book, and as I uh, emphasized, no one had ever written about it before. And I think that's one of the reasons for the book's tremendous success as well, is that it's fresh paranormal territory. And um, due to the uh, the overheated aspect of the, the paranormal field for so many years, uh, there isn't a whole lot of fresh territory to, you know, ground uh, to overturn. And so this uh, represents something brand new with new cases, new stories, um and yet, the kinds of things we described could go on anywhere
0: all right well let's let's kick it off with this uh lobster alien tale. How did that story come to you?
1: well that's my favorite story, and that's why we opened the book with it abduction attempts at abduction by a lobster thing, and ultimately we don't know whether it was an alien per se, like an e t or some sort of cryptid but uh, Kevin had known um the uh, the woman who was involved, uh, Sherry, which I- is a pseudonym, a lot of people ask us for pseudonyms because um, they've lived in the area so long and they know everybody, uh, although their stories are fairly well known. Uh, she had lived in one of these um, remote, hollow areas or haulers uh, with her family, uh, for uh, which had been there for, for generations. And the area is very haunted, has a lot of activity, Uh, she had apparitions that came into her bedroom, shadow people. There was a lot of UFO activity, uh, overhead, which would shine lights down on the house. Her parents were really kind of blase about it. And when she was growing up, uh, she would comment on something that showed up in her bedroom, and her mom would say, oh, that's just the aliens looking in on you. Or if it seemed to be human-like, oh, that's just grandma. Uh, wanting to check up on you, and so it got passed off on uh, in that way. There were a lot of shadow figures in the roads uh, at night, and she was often afraid to go from the house to the barn at night because of these shadow figures. There also was an interesting area behind the house. It was a hill that she would like to walk on, uh, sometimes with her dog, and it seemed to have a force field, that there was an area that she felt that she was passing through some sort of, like a barrier. Um, and we were wondering if there might be some kind of electromagnetic anomaly or something that creating a literal portal. Because if she went through this barrier on the hill, she experienced missing time. And whether or not she was ever abducted during that missing time, uh, we don't know, because she never had any conscious recollection, and she did not want to do regression. But the seminal event that we're talking about tonight, the uh, lobster thing, occurred when she was a teenager, and she had a bedroom on the second story of her house. She went to bed one night and woke up in the middle of the night, as these experiences always happen, and her window has transformed itself. It doesn't have any glass in it. It's, it's got a brilliant light in it that seems to be glowing. Um, and in, in this window area is what looks like a giant lobster, uh, which she gauged to be about seven or eight feet tall, and it had enormous claws. And as she looked at it, it reached in the window and grabbed her by an arm and dragged her off the bed and pulled her toward the window as though it wanted to abduct her.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Have you ever heard of such a thing? We have (laughs) greys and reptilians and, uh, you know, other kinds of aliens coming to abduct people, but lobster things?
0: No, I mean, not since those, you know, those really cheesy science fiction movies involving, you know, large creatures on the island of Japan in in the 1960s.
1: Uh, Well, exactly, and in fact, many of these stories fall into the, oh, my gosh, you can't make this stuff up uh, category. The witnesses um, are all very credible, many of them known by my co-author for a long period of time, and he can vouch for them. So we didn't feel that anybody was pulling our leg. Um, But uh, she struggles against this thing uh, mightily, and it drops her and retreats out the window, and she passes out. Well, she wakes up the next morning, and she's curled up on the floor, uh, and the arm where this creature had grabbed her is sore and black and blue with bruises. Um, she was so upset uh, because she was willing to pass it off as some weird nightmare, but she couldn't explain how she uh, landed on the floor, and the bruises that were on her arm where this thing had grabbed her uh, she She was so upset by it that she did not tell her parents uh, for you know a very, very long time because she, she thought nobody 's going to believe me it 's one no. thing have-
0: rosemary i 've got to jump in like here a- we'll uh, 'll we'll take a quick time out and uh, come back Rosemary Ellen Guiley, Haunted Hills and Hollows What lurps in Green County, Pennsylvania, right here on the conspiracy show don 't go away when in doubt. Blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarratt. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, paranormal investigator, joins us once a month here on The Conspiracy Show. Her latest, a bestseller. This thing is going nuts at Amazon. Haunted Hills and Hollows. What lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania. This is about eight years in the making. A lot of field research and uh, just jam-packed. Not only is the book jam-packed, but Green County, apparently, is just jam-packed with paranormal um, uh, occurrences. And uh, Rosemary has labeled it the most haunted county in America. So back to this lobster alien story that, that grabbed this woman, this kind of a botched alien abduction, uh, perhaps. Uh, how does this end?
1: Well, it never came back. And so she doesn't, you know, we're, we're left to speculate, and she, she didn't know either why it never came back. Did she put up too much of a struggle? Um, perhaps it went on to something that was easier pickings, perhaps. Um, a lot of these experiences are one-offs, and we don't know why they happen or why they don't happen again. But this lobster thing was part of, uh, I, I would say, a zoo of unusual entities that we encountered in our investigations, like the mole things. Yes. Um, another weird entity that, um, and this, I, uh, both of us do believe, was tied to the disturbance of Native American artifacts. Uh, and uh, a man who was remodeling a house found under his porch what appeared to be um, an artifact, a Native American mortar and pestle. And he took it out from that spot and brought it into the house. After he did that, he started being visited first by black blobs, just black pillars and blobby things that would come into the house and follow him around and show up wherever he was. And it was quite unnerving. Um, And those eventually gave way to a a shape-shifting phenomenon where... um, the thing would start out as a black blob and then shape shift into what he could only describe as a mole thing. It, lo- it resembled a mole, and it had enormous clawed feet. So, uh, again, nighttime attacks, uh, this thing scuttling along the wall and then pouncing upon him um, in bed and start ripping at him like it was trying to claw a hole in his body.
0: Oh, my
1: Lord. this happened when he was sleeping on his stomach, and it happened when he was sleeping on his back. Uh, These were terrifying attacks. And then other members of his family started seeing this blob thing, too. Uh, And he finally put two and two together that none of this happened. Uh, And I think a lot of residents are used to kind of weird things happening in their homes there. There's a lot of haunted places. But none of this happened until he had found the mortar and pestle and disturbed it. So he took it and, with a prayer, uh, put it back where he had found it in the dirt underneath his house. It had a raised porch, and the activity stopped. So was this black blob some kind of spirit guardian of old artifacts? Was this sitting on mound territory? And one of the things that we have to realize here is that uh, in this part of Pennsylvania, and it extends into West Virginia and Ohio as well, the ancient mound builders were all over the place. And so there are many Native American burial sites that were never marked, of course, mounds that got um, abandoned and covered over. And then the settlers come in and build on top of them. And... uh, so a lot of these things aren't even found until construction goes on. Well, then you have the question of, do we stop construction, do we excavate these relics, or do we just keep on going? And uh, there, uh, many people have felt that, um, well, you know, just keep on going. Um, it's only a few bits of pottery and bones and whatnot, uh, no problem. But they, then they build their, their house on top of this and then wonder why their house is haunted.
0: Right, right. Um, and, and so let's talk about the, uh, uh, the, the Native Americans that lived in the, the area. Uh, now, is this considered part of the Ohio Valley?
1: Um, well, I guess the greater Ohio Valley. The big river that uh, runs uh, through uh, part of Green County is the Monongahela. And uh, it comes down, The um, Monongahela runs past Pittsburgh as well. But this part of the country um, has a long and rich haunted history. Ohio has a tremendous amount of activities. I mentioned Green County butts up against part of West Virginia, which has similar kinds of activity. And it also, county-wise, um, borders Fayette County, Pennsylvania, which is um, probably the most active county in Pennsylvania for Bigfoot encrypted sightings. So there's a lot of weird energy in, in this part. It's the very southwest corner uh, of Pennsylvania, a lot of weird energy that has remained undisturbed, a lot of it undisturbed until recent times. And hmm. um, Greene County and Waynesburg used to be really sleepy. Waynesburg was a sleepy little town. It's still little, but um, the go- oil and gas drilling started to heat up, uh, within the past decade, they started fracking, taking the gas out of the shale, and uh, that brought kind of a boom economy to the area so it's it's grown considerably but right. once you get outside of of um, it's hard to even call it an urban environment it's more like a small town environment uh, you're really out in the sticks in some very remote places and Yet these parts are being disturbed, too, by people who want to live further out, so they find a remote area and build something on it. Um, we had one of the chapters in the book concerned um, a, a farm investigation that we did. That was one of the first cases that uh, Kevin brought me in on.
0: Is this Lapping, the, farm, the Lapping Farm?
1: Uh, no, this is uh, at the end of the book. It's a chapter called Angry Spirits of the Land. Ah. And it was an old abandoned um, piece of farm that sat on top of abandoned mine tunnels that uh, was purchased by a commercial interest for some experimental farming. And there was a an old uh, farmhouse built in the 1800s that had been abandoned, uh, didn't have any indoor plumbing, and... Um, a man was hired to manage the property, and um, he would use the abandoned farmhouse as his headquarters, but it wasn't livable, so, you know, he lived in a in another town. And when the activity started up on the farm, it seemed to rile something up. There was something that lived on the land that got very angry at the presence of human beings and machinery and stuff going on, uh, and it started reacting against anybody, who spent any amount of time there or worked there. Uh, I did investigate uh, that on and off over a period of several years. We had um, sightings of what we called an imp cat. We called it an imp cat because it had kind of a demonic look to it. It would peek in the windows. There were apparitions of human beings that walked around the property Um, there were shape-shifted apparitions that looked part human, part something else. Kevin actually, uh, or excuse me, not Kevin, but the the fellow who managed the place, uh, actually captured a photograph of um, something looking out of one of the windows, and we have it in the book, um, that looks half human with a cat head. uh, Oh, my God.
0: Rosemary, i got to tell you, Green County is starting to make Skinwalker's Ranch look like a big snore.
1: Well, it could certainly give Skinwalker Ranch a run for its money. Uh, it's a much bigger territory, of course, than the ranch, but the variety of activity. Uh, we had shadow people on that a piece of property. We had uh, phantom animals that defied explanation. We just called them the little gray scurrying things because they seemed to be amalgams of different kinds of animals. But there was this resident spirit of the land that... Um, communicated to us uh, through uh, the ghost box and also in a seance we had that it was ancient. It had been there long before people. This was its territory. It didn't like people on its territory. Everybody should leave, and if and if people did not leave, it was going to make everybody miserable until uh, people did get out and it took several years but eventually um, human activity was driven off the property because uh, the farm could not be commercially viable something was always going wrong and uh, the property sits abandoned today so the entity of the land won the battle
0: do you suspect the gin?
1: it's certainly a possibility and uh, i did entertain that idea because uh, the jinn are ancient and they also like territory uh, and it certainly would fit their uh, their behavior pattern to um, start acting out against um humans that they considered squatters on their on their property it, would, it would, you know it's you have to think of it as like well how would you feel if squatters came and you know set up uh in your house or your your second uh, cabin or whatever and uh, just decided to live there and do whatever they wanted. Um, well, these energetic things happen as well. and there are plenty of examples of this all over the place. You know, Paranormal investigators have um, gone into so many places where there seems to be uh, a resident force that is not real friendly to people. So um, this this is something interestingly that Plato said we needed to take into account. Plato said there are places on the earth where people are not meant to be for whatever reason. The gods live there. Spirits live there. We have to be respectful of those abodes. We have the attitude today that uh, if we want to live somewhere, we just go in and bulldoze down the trees, cut the brush, put up our house. Uh, and if there's something invisible there that, that uh, doesn't like it, well, that's too bad.
0: Haunted Hills and Hollows. What lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania? Well, a whole lot, apparently. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is uh, with us. Visionaryliving.com, the website. Uh, It almost makes you... Uh, All of these disturbing, uh, entities makes you sort of pine for just a good old run-of-the-mill Sasquatch. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but there there are plenty of those in Greene County. In in fact, the, uh, lobster girl, uh, um, what was her name, her pseudonym again? Um, Sherry? Was it Sherry that Uh, had the encounter with the lobster? Yes. She also had, she also had encounters with Bigfoot, did she not?
1: She did, yes and they would howl at night. Uh it's not uncommon in these remote parts of the county to hear uh what people feel is Bigfoot howling at night. And in fact, uh, another name for Sasquatch in that area, they're literally called the night howlers.
0: Ooh, I like that name. The night howlers. That'd be a name that'd be a great uh Seattle band, I think, the night howlers. Uh and um How prevalent uh, are are Sasquatch in in Greene County? I mean, does everybody, not everybody, but do do loads and loads of people have Sasquatch stories, did you find?
1: Well, when I uh, researched the reported records, uh, Greene County is not one of the most active. It butts up against the most active county in Pennsylvania, but uh, the number of reported cases two organizations that collect that information is lower than other counties in the state. I think it's just a matter of reportage because when, when you get out in the field and you start talking to people about their experiences, you might contact someone because they've had a certain kind of sighting, and then if you ask them, um, have you had any other encounters or activity, then they'll volunteer things like um, unusual cryptids or, or Sasquatch. So I, I think that there's probably plenty of activity, it just has been underreported. Now the Bigfoot researchers in Pennsylvania that um, I know and have had discussions with uh, have said the same thing. I just published a book this spring called Chasing the Elusive Pennsylvania Bigfoot by uh, a very well-known Pennsylvania ufologist and Bigfoot researcher, Paul G. Johnson. And when he started his research 20 years ago, um, there wasn't very much documented in certain counties. But um, he and others uh, made a concerted effort to seek out reports, advertise for reports, and follow up on things that they heard about through the media or secondhand, and compiled quite a database of activity. So I think it's just a matter of ferreting it out.
0: Alright, we'll uh, take a time out. Uh, maybe the fact is there's just simply not room enough for Bigfoot in Green County. There's too many other things. Lobsters and moles and, uh, black blobs and, and, um, um so many other crazy things going on. We'll, uh, come back. Let's talk about, uh, the ghost of Frank Bryan on the other side. Rosemary Ellen Guiley here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The truth is not up there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seven. Haunted Hills and Hollows. What is lurking in Green County, Pennsylvania? Rosemary Ellen Guiley's latest. And uh, so much going on in this uh, this uh rural county in southwestern Pennsylvania, right up butt, butts up against uh, West Virginia. Uh, who is who was I should say who was Frank Bryan?
1: Uh, well, the ghost of Frank Bryan started out as a joke, and we included this story because it's one of Kevin's personal stories. Uh, he's had a lot of haunting experiences, and it's an example of how uh, you shouldn't take things lightly. You shouldn't take things pa- paranormal things lightly, and it, it concerns. Um, a dairy that Frank Bryan owned. It was called Bryan's Dairy in Waynesburg. It was hugely pop, uh, popular. Uh delivered very good products. The kids always liked to go there for milkshakes and ice cream. And uh, Kevin, uh, when he was in school, uh, so, so it would have been high school for him, two of his friends, uh, which we call Tom and Jerry in the book, again, pseudonyms, um, they worked at the store. And uh, they would close up at night. Well, one of them was kind of skittish about the paranormal. And uh, so uh, they decided to play a joke on the boy who was kind of afraid uh, by telling him that the storeroom was haunted and then send him into the storeroom by himself uh, at night. It would kind of freak him out. And after they had joked around with him for a while, um, they confessed to uh, to playing a joke on him, and real phenomena happened um, at, at the very moment that they were laughing hysterically over their joke on this poor guy. Um, containers uh, of ice cream and paper cups um, and supplies literally flew off the shelf behind the counter. It was though an invisible hand had just gone down the counter and swiped everything off with a great force. And they weren't near the shelf. Nobody had touched it. There was no way to account for that. But it was like, well, you think nothing is here? Well, you better think again. And after that, Kevin said he took the paranormal very seriously.
0: Mm. And did uh, did uh, did that particular poltergeist activity continue?
1: Well, I believe it did. Um, although the two boys who worked there uh, laid low about it for a long time, because both of them were spooked. And the dairy uh, is long since closed. It, it uh, doesn't exist anymore. But um, uh, And I'm not sure what replaced it there, uh, what business is there now, but it wouldn't surprise me if that spot had some kind of activity uh, in in the place.
0: Well, despite the, the fact that the the whole county seems to be a hot spot, there's one... Hotspot of hotspots, apparently called Rice's Landing. Tell me about it. What's going on there?
1: Uh, Rice's Landing is indeed a spooky place, and uh, Kevin and I went a number of times to Rice's Landing. Um, one of the things that uh, there are two stories that that uh, draw paranormal people to the area, and one is an old legend called Stovepipe. And uh, the legend goes there are variations of it but the legend goes that there was um, um a miner um uh, who was at odds with it was a union non union sort of confrontation um and he liked to wear a stovepipe hat and um uh, the uh, road that goes down Rice's landing to the Monongahela River is very steep and windy and um one night he was going down this at a very brisk pace in his, uh, with his horse and carriage and had an accident and uh, fell off and was uh, decapitated uh, by the carriage. And so the legend is that his ghost walks around looking for his head. And if you go there at night, especially around midnight, and you go to uh, one of the bends in this road and call out stovepipe, stovepipe, stovepipe three times... His ghost supposedly will appear. But like an urban legend, it's like, well, you don't want to call him in because maybe he'll take your head, you know, if he can't find his.
0: <laughs> oh, I love this one. This is, this is wonderful.
1: The, uh, the other story really is a sad tragedy, and it was uh, the murder of a little grade school girl. Um, this goes um, back several decades, and uh, there are a lot of homes in the area around Rice's Landing. There's a big park in the middle of it. Um, there's a riverfront area where when the paddle wheel boats were in vogue, uh, there was a lot of port activity. But in 1973, um, this murder took place. Uh, her name was Deborah, and she was eight years old. She got off the bus to walk. Uh, to her home, which was very normal at the time. Uh, and, in fact, um, her two brothers were out uh, about in the area, and so were neighbors, and she was seen walking home, but she never made it home. Mm-hmm. And her body was uh, discovered several days later in um, a sh- uh, buried in a, a shallow uh, kind of grave underneath some forest debris.
0: Uh, let yeah. me just jump in, Rosemary. We'll we'll pick up on this story on the other side. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, haunted hills and hollows. What's lurking in Greene County, Pennsylvania? Back with more of the Conspiracy Show right after this. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is the Conspiracy Show with Richard Savage. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, "Haunted Hills and Hollows." What's lurking in Greene County, Pennsylvania? It's a bestseller, folks. Um, is it available at visionaryliving.com as well?
1: Yes, it is. Visionary uh, Living, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, all the usual places.
0: Are you doing autographed copies?
1: Oh uh, yes, in fact, uh, and we can hardly keep them in stock.
0: Terrific. All right. So, uh, before the break, we were tr- talking about this tragic story in an area of Greene County called Rice's Landing. This involved the murder of a young uh, eight-year-old girl coming home from school. Uh, she didn't make it home. They, they found her body in a shallow grave in the forest. So if you wanted to pick up this this tragic story from there, Rosemary.
1: Uh, it really is tragic. She had been raped and strangled with a piece of twine. Oh, and dear. Forty years later, uh, this murder has never been solved. Uh, what a heartbreak for the family. Uh, and so uh, many people feel that the area where her body was found is haunted, and people will sometimes see apparitions of a little girl or they feel an incredible heavy sadness in the area. But uh, no solution to the murder.
0: Oh, dear. Um of all the places that you you visited because I mean this this was uh, you know boots on the ground kind of research you did some investigating in the field what was the scariest place for you uh,
1: the scariest place would have to be that farm uh, the experimental farm where the entity wanted everybody to leave I did quite a few overnight investigations there uh, and they were scary what manifested uh we had manifestations of very threatening shadow figures you know humanoid forms that looked like um, men wearing coats and hats uh there was a, an enormous black blob that would be seen um outside the the farm was located in some hilly territory and it would come out of the woods and move along in the hills and play hide and seek in the trees. It could actually hide itself between a very, uh, behind a very skinny tree trunk. Um, sometimes we saw balls of light floating over the property in different colors. Uh, they would bob over over the uh, ground and then just drop into the ground and completely disappear. Um, There were swirling tornadoes of what appeared to be heavy black, like black ink, tornadoes that would manifest in the uh, second floor of the house. Um, Since no one was there at night, uh, unless we were investigating, uh, the place was always locked up. uh, And it was not unusual for Jack, the, the man who managed the place, to come in in the morning and find that um, the windows were open. They had been locked, uh, but the windows were open, and there were mysterious muddy footprints on the window sills that looked creature-like. Um, the front door might be open. Uh, couldn't explain any of that. Uh, one of the experimental uh, things that they were doing was uh, raising chickens, and uh, the chickens would be found mysteriously dead, not like a predator would get into the coop and, uh, you know, kind of tear them up. But And this happened even on investigation night, where in the morning we would find dead chickens, and there hadn't even been a ruckus in the, in the chicken coop. Oh, my uh, gosh. Like if a, a fox or something got in. And the odd thing about that is that the chickens would be laid out neatly in a row, which is something a predator doesn't do.
0: Uh, Were their necks ne- broken?
1: And they would just be dead. Mm. Uh, so it, it was very strange. Uh, people who came and, and worked uh, on the place had uh, mysterious cuts uh, and rashes that developed on their skin. Uh, machinery broke down all the time. Um, we got thre- As I mentioned, we got threatening messages uh, over the ghost box and, and uh, via the seance. Many things were tried to get rid of it. We tried doing a Native American tobacco ceremony. We tried exorcisms of various kinds. Nothing would dislodge this entity. And when the farm commercially couldn't make a go of it, it was just abandoned. People wouldn't stay very long who came to work there. They would have some sort of freaked out experience. There was one example that we relate in the book. A young college volunteer, a lot of students volunteered for the farm, And he was very devout. He brought his Bible every day to read at lunchtime, which is, you know, perfectly natural to, you know, read the book of your choice. Well, he was alone one day in the farmhouse downstairs having his lunch, reading the Bible, and he hears walking upstairs. So he thinks that Jack is in the house, and he didn't know it. Presently, Jack comes in from the outside, and this totally freaked this young man out. He said, well, if we're the only two here on the property and you just came in, who's upstairs? Jack said, son, you know, there's some things i got to tell you about this place. Mm -hmm. Um, And he never came back. People wanted to bring guns on the property as if guns would help against something (laughs) invisible.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, when you're witnessing this, when it's happening to you, are you more excited because, you know, this is your profession, this is what you do, and you're actually getting to experience it, not just read about it, but it's happening – Or are you more frightened? Does the excitement override the fear? Tell me about that.
1: I'm usually excited because I want to document things. I want to see what kind of evidence I can capture. I want a personal experience that I'm able to relate. So I'm usually very excited. But there are times when things get very unstable. Uh, The energy becomes unstable or whatever is there seems to be unpredictable. And that was the case with the farm, there were times when I did not want to be on the property because I felt that at any time something haywire could happen and I would come out on the worst end of it. And it was just a shift in energy, you know, build-up of tension or some kind of phenomena that would happen. Once I was running the ghost box inside the farmhouse, this was during the day, and I had my eyes closed for a while so I could try and concentrate better on what was coming through, And when I opened my eyes, I had a bloody little cut on my arm, like someone had taken a paper cutter or a razor and just given me a, not a deep cut, but a very thin, thin slice. I can't account for it. But these are kinds of things that other investigators often encounter in hostile environments. And I do believe that there are times when, uh, look, folks, it's time to fold up your cards and get out because you don't want to become a serious victim.
0: Do you think if you persisted and stayed another night, another two nights, that something seriously could have gone wrong?
1: Uh, Well, yes. I think you run the risk of that. What happened with some of the investigators that I worked with was it was like um, whatever was there started winnowing them out. And accidents would happen to them right before an investigation night or they would become mysteriously ill, uh, like emergency room mysteriously ill, something that would force them off the investigation. And pretty soon, uh, you know, we had serious attrition to the number of investigators who were able to come or wanted to come. Even Jack talked about he had a lot of equipment, mishaps, breakdowns. Sometimes he felt that something was following him home, giving him nightmares. And I think entities are capable of this, that given enough rope so to speak they can attach to people and then start causing serious havoc it seemed that whatever was resident there had a territory that it liked to stick to and you know maybe it couldn't go very far it's drawing its power from the land but there are other cases where investigators do get attached and some of them do have serious trouble
0: tell me about art huck what happened to art huck
1: some really freaky UFO stuff. He was a young man at the time. He was working for a farmer and taking the tractor out into some remote areas to work on the land, and there were some times when he saw light mysterious lights in the sky. He went camping a couple of times with a couple of friends of his, and they saw mysterious lights in the woods that kind of freaked them out. It was the end of their camping trip. But the main experience happened one night when well his tractor broke down and he noticed that there was a light in the sky that seemed to come down to the ground and he went to investigate and he starts walking along and he comes upon a landed craft it totally scares him and he runs back to the tractor and he can't get it started you know it's just like straight out of the movies so he's trying he's not going to have a fast getaway on a tractor anyway <laughs> It takes him a while to get the – he realizes he says, this thing is not of this earth. You know, this is a saucer, a saucer-shaped craft that's landed on the ground. He finally gets the tractor going and tears out as fast as you can tear out on a tractor, which is not very fast. And he was so scared that he didn't want to go back to that area. But after a while, he screwed up his courage, and he went back to see if it was still there. And, of course, it was gone. And there are a lot of residents in Greene County that describe overhead UFO activity and quite frequently as though these things are like traveling in paths across the sky. But this was actually a landed craft.
0: Right. And what decade was this? What year approximately?
1: That would have been, I believe, in the 70s.
0: The 70s. Ah. And did it leave the craft? Did it leave any imprints in the ground? Was there any, I don't know, mysterious purple foam or something left behind?
1: It did not leave like a trace circle or or something like that. It was just gone. So, you know, we're left with an eyewitness account that says, I have no evidence, and we run into this all the time, I have no evidence to prove this. I know what I saw. This is what happened. And what do we do with these cases? Well, if a person is credible, then, you know, we take it at face value and see if we can find some corroboration. where there other people who noticed Something mysterious in the sky on that night, unless somebody reports something, it's very hard to dig these things out.
0: Right, right. What do the Native American uh, residents uh, in the area make of all of this? Because there are, there are I believe there were the uh, uh, the Algonquins were, were settled in this area, the Seneca, uh, a lot of different Native American nations living in this area. What do they make of this? Do they have sort of a theory as to what's going on?
1: Well, there were quite a few different nations that either traveled through this area or lived temporarily or used it as a hunting ground. And of course, we have the burial artifacts to indicate actual residences going, you know, pretty far back in history. And so, from their perspective, it's like, well, what do you expect if you disturb the energy of the land and the the beings who share the landscape with you? What do you expect? Now, at the, at that farm case, with the hostile entity, we did have some help from the Shawnee who gave us some very old, original ceremonial tobacco to try a placation exorcism. And we burned the tobacco and we sprinkled some of it around the farmhouse and had an exorcism done there. And it did quiet the place down for about three months, but then it came back. Oh, and wow. that, that about- happens a lot too. So... Um, these massacres that happened early on, this, I think, is part of the reason for a lot of the paranormal activity. Uh, that part of Pennsylvania was uh, a very bloody battle field uh, from about the mid-1700s on as the colonial white settlers pushed further and further into the territory and beyond. And at first, a lot of the relations were peaceful, and I, I think an effort was made uh, in many cases on both sides to... Uh, to be friends, but as the, the colonials started taking over more, it really got a lot of the uh, Native Americans angry, and so there were massacres. The whites were just as bad as the Indians. Whites would go and, and murder and scalp the Indians as well as vice versa.
0: So, so obviously, that yeah, that that is imprinted. All that blood soaked into the soil has had. Uh, has, has had an effect. We are uh, we are out of time, uh, but people can go and get a copy of Haunted Hills and Hollows. What lurks in Greene County, Pennsylvania? Rosemary, thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you, Richard. Always a pleasure.
0: Likewise, VisionaryLiving.com, the website. All right, that's it for me. We are back next week with a brand new program, The Mystery of the 432 Megahertz Frequency. We'll also talk to Dr. Lynn Katai about the Phoenix Lights. Until next time, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.